today with Claire Byrne on RTE Radio 1, sponsored by Cash and Carry Kitchens. At the heart of Irish homes for over 40 years. Cashandcarrykitchens.ie Email todaycb at rte.ie It's time now for our Friday gathering and I'm joined in the studio today by Fine Gael TD for Kildare South and Minister of State at the Department of Agriculture, Food and the Marine, Martin Hayden, Labour TD for Louth and East Meath and spokesperson on finance, public expenditure and reform, Jed Nash, political correspondent with the Irish Daily Mail, Ashley Maloney and Dublin reporter with PA Media, Gráinne Nia. And you're all very welcome. Thank you for being here. We're going to talk about the big stories of the week. One of them was um, Eamon Ryan's announcement of this traffic plan for Dublin city centre. And I just thought it was extraordinary this morning. We had Professor Sean Daly in, who's the master of the Rotunda, and I was asking him about it. And he said, well, we'll have to talk to Dublin City Council about how our staff get into work. And of course, you'll obviously have the people who are using the services as well. And Martin, I might start with you, like replicate that for the number of healthcare centres, businesses, all sorts of places who will need to find a way to bypass this plan so that people can get in and out of the city centre. Does it make any sense? Well, like in any significant change, there's going to be, there has to be proper analysis of the knock-on implications of that. So, whether you, Okay, put it another yeah. way. Do you think it's a good idea? So, well, look, I'm not a Dublin-based TD, but our capital is not just for Dublin people, it's for all of our country. Um, so us in Kildare like to think of someday we might be going up to an All-Ireland final, how we're going to get to Crow Park easily. <laughs> we, we'll concentrate on trying to win Leinster first. Um, but, you know, so th- there is that consideration. Um, I know from Dublin-based colleagues um, that many of their constituents are expressing concerns around, you know, being able to get in and across the city, uh, get, in, get in to do shopping. And everybody wants to make sure that we have a vibrant city centre for shopping as well as uh, nice cafes and all the rest. So it is about getting the balance right and having a proper analysis of you displace that traffic. Where does it go? Um, does it mm-hmm. does it evaporate? I think that's unlikely. Um, what are the businesses and the jobs that are in the city centre that need to be done? But in my experience, in my constituency in Kildare South, my two biggest priorities in my constituency have been a distributor road around the Thai and a need for a second bridge in, in Newbridge. Uh, we delivered a distributor road around the Thai, uh, which the Taoiseach opened last October after 40 years waiting. Everyone in the Thai thought that was just to take the heavy goods vehicles out of the middle of the town. But what they didn't realise was actually the modal shift that I actually I can see coming now from experience is there's these uh, pedestrian and cycleways that mean people in a number of states of that town can get much easier to the train station. And I can actually see now 18 and 19 year olds in the town who would have thought they had to get an L plate and buy a car are actually now considering not doing that. So I do see the change Mm -hmm. while it's resisted and it's hard can make a very big difference um, and we have to try and get okay. that right but we have to be aware of what the knock-on implications are and yeah, we have I, this discussion all around the country as well I, when I, we're I just, upgrading I, squares and it, losing car parking spaces. It just well. struck me when I was talking to Sean Daly that there are going to have to be an awful lot of exemptions for shift workers in Dublin city centre who will have to use their cars to get right in and, I, and I'm wondering if when you try to discuss that with your Green Party colleagues do you meet a brick wall on that? No, but like, you know, ultimately Dublin City Council have a key role to play here as well. There's the NTA, there's our our colleagues in government and across government where we will um, obviously go through all the details of this. But impact on business is a really big point. Like, part of the move I was making the point that in regional towns around the country, as through the Rural Regeneration Fund, the one billion euro that Heather Humphreys is pumping in to increase our public realm, we see an awful lot of market squares now losing car parking spaces. It's the same kind of principle that people say, no, we want the car parking space right in front of the shop. Mm -hmm. But making it pedestrianised can actually, as people in Westport know, can make the visitor experience so much more pleasant. So what we want to make sure is that if there are changes made like this, it doesn't 
kill business. It actually yeah. enhances it and enhances that footfall. So there, they, um, all the knock-on implications to these changes are what have to be discussed, have to be teased out and make sure that we're not going to um, do harm and, and have yeah. a, a, the wrong outcome. Jed, what do you think? Uh, unreservedly, I'd say this is a very good idea uh, and it's something that has to happen. And if it means that uh, it brings Metrolink, bus connects and other active travel measures closer uh, then I say bring it on. It can't happen uh, quickly enough. I think we need to figure out what our cities and town centres are for. Um, I've been a long-standing proponent and often a, a lone voice. I certainly was 20 years ago in my own local authority uh, when I sought to pedestrianise the entire centre of Drogheda Town Centre, my own hometown uh, and where I live and where I represent. Um, and that was resisted um, because people couldn't really figure out what towns and city centres are for. Now we know they're not for cars. They're for businesses, they're for trade, they're for cultural pursuits, they're for people to enjoy and they need to be livable. And when I say livable, uh, we need to talk about property prices as well. Um, but, but you need that's, to make it easy for, for people to access well, well, the, well, you, the town centre for that. And, and I'm always struck by the fact that the, the, the loudest uh, voices opposing what are actually sensible measures like this uh, are those who routinely take their car into the city centre and those who complain all the time about traffic jams, the traffic jams that they're contributing to and that I contribute to as well because I will admit I use my car far too often. Uh, I have changed my own approach to transport. I use public transport and I cycle much more than I ever did for a variety of different reasons. Uh, uh, but there's no doubt about it. I think this is a good idea. And the idea that, you know, 60% of the traffic passing through are on their way to another destination. I think that makes the argument itself uh, for uh, the prohibition of traffic in yeah. uh, of private vehicles in certain parts of but the city centre. We're talking about a very small part of okay. the city centre here. Grania, what uh, do we do for the nurse who's starting their shift at midnight or 1am? How do they there's manage? Def- there's definitely people who are going to be affected adversely by the plan um, that will need to be taken into account. I don't think that is something that should be um, put aside lightly or quickly or anything like that. And, you know, for people with disabilities who um, might struggle uh, and can't wait for transport to get better in the city centre or more accessible in the city centre, there's going to be issues there as well. And I think they are still um, open for stakeholder in, in, um, uh, uh, interests or, or suggestions, I suppose. But uh, I don't think that negates the entire plan and the benefit that it could have for um, the vast majority. And um, I think that the the way the city centre is, I drive through the city centre a lot for work. You're stuck in traffic a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. And whether Do you have an option now to drive or is that your choice? Uh, well, I tried. I actually take public transport where I can because it's faster. The route I take a lot of the time, but sometimes I have heavy equipment and that's not very public transport friendly mm-hmm. either. So, uh, and especially in the rain, for example. So you'll always have to drive then if um, you're lugging these things around um, with you. It depends because a lot of the time I'd be travelling from one part of the city centre to another. The Lewis is great for that because you know exactly when you're going to get there. You're not really going to get stuck in traffic mm-hmm. um, and there's generally space on them and they're so frequent. There are three or four minutes where a bus you might wait 10 minutes and that is it is the unpredictability of public transport bus routes in particular that really gets people they don't they go to a bus stop and they don't really know what time they're going to get to yeah, work and I think maybe that's part of the the shock of this is that you know we've been told it's going to happen by August you know mm. and, and if we had more time to get 
the things in, Jed, that you were talking about, like, you know, the mythical metro, uh, perhaps people would feel more amenable to this plan if that were the case. Ashley, what's your view on it? Well, I think, as Grania said there, like the public transport system can be incredibly frustrating. I'm in an area where it's mostly serviced by bus and like I stood at a bus stop for an hour and six buses passed me that were out of service and my bus didn't come. So that's incredibly frustrating. But what that did was actually make me go, I'm definitely cycling the next day. So I've actually reduced my reliance completely nearly on public transport because I don't find it reliable at all and I'm cycling all the time. Most places in Dublin are incredibly accessible by bike. It's not a big city. Um, It's also not an incredibly hilly city. The only thing that kind of would make me um, go back or what would you say scare me off cycling is actually cars. So, um, and actually when people, I know Liveline was quite exercised yesterday with people saying, oh, Ireland's rainy and all this. I've only had to not cycle a handful of times because of the rain and actually what I should just do is get a bloody pair of uh, wet pants that I should get. (laughs) So like I'm cycling more. I've cycled in my new job for the last eight or nine months constantly and not had any issues. Now I'm worried about an issue with the car and that is the main thing that stops me. We all need to toughen up a little bit. Is that what you're saying? Yeah I think as well we're in a period of transition like we're in a period where we're trying to make these changes and I think you're always going to have change is scary change is new and people People are used to their ways. And what I will say, though, is when you were talking about the All-Ireland, like, I don't know anyone from, like, let's say where I'm from, Waterford, that likes coming to Dublin and drives. Like, I know most people who would never drive in the city centre in Dublin. They'd park in Clondalk and they'd get the Lewis in. They want to come into Dublin city centre. They go to places like Gildare Village or Dundrum to drive there, but they want to come into Dublin city to abandon the car and walk around. That is, you know, what people want to do. So um, to make the the city more uh, pedestrian friendly, I think is to open it up to more of those uses. And other towns and cities around Ireland like where I'm from in Dungarvan we went through a um the square in Dungarvan went through a major transition a couple of years ago when my parents were sole traders on the square. I remember going to council meetings where I was raising issues like, oh, they're going to lose parking spaces here. This is not going to be good. But then when it came in, we had this shared space. We have, um, during COVID, loads of parking spaces were taken up by uh, traders come and bringing their tables out. Those parking spaces haven't gone back and no one's complained about it because in the square now everyone wants to come in there's new coffee shops opening there That that's what people want out of their, their small mm-hmm. towns and villages and I'd also make the point what did we do like 60, 70 years ago when no one car use wasn't what wasn't a big thing. Everyone cycled in in regional we, towns and yeah. cities. People and did we, cycle. We, we adapt and we evolve. Yeah. Um, and let's get. I think you know we'll be sitting here in five ten years wondering what the fuss was about. Um, I think it's absolutely mad. You know, it's Dublin, just so, I read, it's read so data fast though, Jed. It is. Saying, saying is, it's coming in in well, August. Well, well, it's, no, there's it's, an expectation of this will happen, and I think actually lots of people have mentally prepared themselves for this day that this is about to happen, and businesses adapt, and actually different forms of businesses can thrive. All of the evidence internationally shows that different forms of business thrive. Uh, in these contexts when these necessary changes are made and are necessary for a range of different reasons. As I read some data yesterday that suggested Dublin is the second most congested city in the European Union. I think that's been our experience mm. and that's not the way it should be. Is, is, is there a sense here though that the green tail is wagging the dog of government on this, Martin? Like everything the Greens say, it's like how high? I mean you talked about the struggle to get the ring road in, in, a, in a tie. Sure, and Ryan won't build a road for love and money. Oh, oh no, that struggle, uh, that struggle went back 40 years, uh, Claire, <laughs> just uh, to be clear about that. And in fairness, Eamon Ryan was Minister for Transport when that uh, distributor road has been delivered. Um, but you so know your colleagues have had problems with road building oh, yeah. around no, no, the country. No, 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 I accept that completely. Look, I am conscious 
while I agree with a lot of what's been said here, I'm thinking of the older person who might feel confident enough to cycle. We don't want to be ageist. We don't have a policy here that, it, you know, Ashin, you're, you're young and you're fit and you're well oh, able to cycle I will cycle say though, there's a lot of people who are retired who find liberty when they become retired and they can get on the bike and they can have a slower form of transport. Brilliant. And I understand no, and no, the I, disability I, thing that... I'm just making that point. I'm just thinking of all well. the different people I, who are I, listening I, to I, us here. In Denmark, Copenhagen, you know, is, is an example. You know, mm. people of all generations cycle. I mean, let's, let's, not, let's not be in any but way... A town centre, a city centre is not for going for your shopping. Is that what we're going to say? Jed said earlier about, you know, we have to decide what Dublin City Centre is for and what our mm-hmm. town centres are for. Um, if you want to buy something in Arnott's, um, you know, you're not going to go in on your bike because most chances are what you're buying will be bulky and will need to go in the boot of a car. Um, mm-hmm. So again, that's not a reason not to do this. Um, but I'm just saying we have to think through. We don't want Dublin City Centre to be just for cafes yeah. uh, either. You know, you want a mix of businesses too. You don't want to push more people into these out-of-town centres that are soulless and that don't have that um, that, that same city centre feel. That's what you said about Dublin City for a while is, you know, Dublin is dying and we need to reinvigorate it in a kind of more grassroots, local um, way that is for the people who live in the city as well as people who are visiting it. And this does strike me as as an opportunity to do that. And I have to say as well, it's quite refreshing that we're talking about something being faster than we expected it to be. (laughs) Absolutely. One thing I'd say well, it, it, this is a much more egalitarian approach because the other options that some cities have used is, is taxes and levies and tolls on cars and so on. This is much more egalitarian uh, and a much more, uh, much more progressive. I, way I, I have a message. On, I, I reckon this person is from roundabout where you are, Jed. Um, what about those of us who live in the northeast, work in the city centre but can't cycle? Public transport takes two hours each way. If I don't drive, I miss my child getting up in the morning and going to bed at night. Work on transport options and show us there's a better option before banning the cars from the city yeah, centre. Well, well it's, it's one reason why, I mean, we have, we have too much of a focus uh, on you know foreign direct investment in, in Dublin. There's actually Loud has been very successful attracting foreign direct investment but there is an issue there about that, those regional imbalances. Commuting levels from the Drada area particularly my own hometown are extraordinary uh, and you know there, there's skilled people leaving that area uh, affecting their quality of life every uh, single day. And we have the benefit actually of being on the best served rail line in the country. It's the best served rail line in terms of getting into Dublin if you're in Drogheda but if you're in Dundalk the, the, uh, and many many people you know Commit from the dock, and I'm campaigning to try to get more frequent services from that town to make sure that people get into uh, Dublin at the times when they're working, at the times when they need to come home. Okay, let's um, move on and talk about uh, the trolley crisis now because we've been hearing about overcrowding at um, Limerick, uh, the University Hospital in Limerick, for a long time now. But we had records broken this week 150 people waiting on trolleys in one day. And this is despite all of this money that we spend on the health service. We're told this is not about money, it's more about systems. Uh, Ashley, I know you've been reporting on this mm. for a long time, like since you were a student journalist on yes. the situation in Limerick. Yes, because I was in college in Limerick and I remember it was 2018 and we had a story about how there were 100,000 people had been on trolleys um, up to a point in the year or whatever, so um, for the last 10 years or something, so it was to kind of milestone, I suppose, how bad it was. Um, and it hasn't gotten any better. It's actually gotten much, much worse in the intervening, I suppose, 
suppose, six years. And that was emphasized this week by the INMO um, trolley figures. They reached 150 on Wednesday, I think, this week. And that's the highest since they began recording 20 years ago. Um, and there was a um, Midwest hospital campaign group set up, I think, uh, about four years ago now. And it's even raised since they set up. And, and what they're looking for is that, so UHL is a, I'm correct in thinking it's a Model 4 hospital, but it doesn't have a Model 3 hospital supporting it. And the Model 2 hospitals, Ennis and Nina and St. John's, they don't have an emergency department. So there's a huge so catchment area. funneled UHL, into the one place. Yeah, so it's the Midwest region and you're talking about West Clare, some parts of Offaly, Tipperary, all of Limerick. Um, it's like over 400,000 people are in the catchment area for the one mm-hmm. ED, one emergency department. And that's where they, the campaign groups and consultants um, who wrote letters to the management of UHL and the HSC last year also emphasised this point that they need to upgrade those supporting hospitals in Ennis and Nina and St John's to have an ED to reinstate those services and reinstate more services so people from the wilds of West Clare weren't being brought down to the regional in Limerick for their emergency case and then maybe being sent back to Ennis um, to be treated further on. So um, that's one of the main issues here and I suppose Stephen Donnelly, the Minister for Health earlier this week, he very much emphasised that they have given the most amount of money to UHL, uh, more than any other hospital, that they have a hundred extra, uh, sorry, a thousand extra staff in UHL since 2019 and 150 additional beds um, with 98 in UHL and another 96 bed block is being built. Um, very much emphasise that that is what they've done and what needs to happen now is reform in the hospital. Um, but again, as I said, those okay. on the outside are saying it's the, it's okay. the se- secondary hospitals that need to be upgraded to help UHL. So we're coming to the end of about 13 years now, um, Fine Gael in government. Still, this problem is nowhere near being solved. Fianna Fáil holds the, the ministry at the moment. Do you think that that is the problem, that it's about reform rather than how much money we're spending on it? I think there's a number of different parts to it. Um, we absolutely need more acute capacity because our population is growing significantly and we know there's going to be an extra million people living in Ireland by 2040. So we need more acute, but we also need to continue investing in primary care. Well, why are we talking about we we still need this? You know, you're coming to the end of 13 years in power in know, this absolutely, country. But like, we have made really big progress in, in, in the area of health provision. We have our children's hospitals almost completed. We oh, have don't, elective don't bring that up. I mean, seriously. No, no, but, but I will. The amount like, of money that was spent on that thing. And, and, and we're talking about banning traffic from the city centre. Where do we build the hospital no, in the no, city centre. No one, the day that Children's Hospital will open, no one will say it was too expensive or shouldn't have been done. Um, and yes, it's been challenging. It is really challenging in this country to deliver any large scale infrastructural project and, and it takes time. And during the Celtic Tiger, we didn't have any plan in place by the then government to deliver additional uh, hospital capacity. There was the focus on moving to primary care, which is right, but it didn't allow for um, the build up. And Jed would notice as well from our time in government from 2011 onwards, uh, we had to start from scratch with those plans to develop uh, these large uh, increases in capacity but in terms of the pressure like there is a huge variation in different hospitals around the country in terms of uh, trolley numbers um, over the winter and there's different I don't think there's one simple reason for that I think there's a a myriad of different reasons as Ashton has outlined Conscious Ashton such as from Watford if you look at Watford's A&E it's it's an exemplar in in terms of uh, trolley numbers and how we do that I know like we we, we, we moved away
of support in other yeah, parts the of the Yeah, but the South East is still a quite populated area. area and Arkeen is still the biggest hospital know, by a considerable what, what distance. I know, but what other medical centre resources do they have in Waterford that they don't have in Limerick? It seems as though everybody Wexford's is being put far, through Limerick. Yeah, yeah and look, it, it's not exactly the same and not all one uh, one size fits all in, in terms of pointing to the problems here. But, you know, we've moved away um, and this is government policy signed off in this last summer from the winter plan that used to be every winter trying to say how we're going to deal with yeah. trolleys. And we now have um, what's called the, the urgent emergency care operational plan, which is an all year round plan. And that has actually seen a reduction um, year on year okay. in trolley in trolley numbers. But I know in the likes of NACE Regional, what we've done is we have a minor injuries clinic now set up beside NACE and that's taken great pressure okay. off the a which had a lot of problems uh, in the past as well, because a lot of people were going into a that didn't need to be in there as well. OK, well, Jed Martin brought you into this because he said that back coming out of the crash, you had to start from scratch. Do you give this current government a pass on those grounds? Uh, no, um, for the very reasons you point out and the uh, economic uh, situations are uh, wildly different to uh, the ones that existed uh, uh, many, many years ago and a number of elections ago. Uh, but I, I'd say this, I mean, th- there's plenty of blame to go around uh, on this uh, and I know it would be convenient um, for an opposition politician to blame the Minister for Health and he does share some of the blame here and I'll tell you why. Because he introduced a moratorium on recruitment at the health service that should be lifted because he hadn't adequately planned for the health service service even last year. He has signed off on a fictitious budget. He's effectively admitted that himself. Uh, in any other democracy, uh, and this is where you know political credibility comes into it, in any other democracy, um, you know, a minister has one job, to sign off on a credible estimate for their department. He did a tour of the radio and TV stations uh, when he got his estimate approved, making the case that his estimate, in fact, wouldn't uh, pass muster this year. It was always going to have implications for very, very sick people. We're seeing those implications now. I think he should take advice from Finlay Hay, uh, the General Secretary of the Irish Nurses and Midwives Organisation, who appeared on the programme yesterday, who said that the hospitals regionally that actually plan for these surges, and they, they're very predictable. It happens after every bank holiday weekend. Uh, this is one of the reasons why there is a surge. Uh, the hospitals that plan... Uh, 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 and put patient safety and prioritise emergency care are the ones that manage to perform the best. And there are some hospitals around the country uh, that have done that. Uh, and I think, what I said, there's plenty of blame to go around here. I think the embargo should be lifted. The Minister's fictitious health budget, I think, bears some res- a lot of responsibility for this. Okay. But what we need to do as well is look, I think, at the function of senior decision makers in our health service. What are they doing? You know, they keep repeating the same mistakes year in, year out. And we know the outcomes are worse for frail elderly who are finding it very, very difficult to obtain the beds that they need. They're getting good care from doctors, nurses, healthcare assistants in emergency departments. Very difficult circumstances. I've had a message in from Dr John Barton who's a consultant physician with University Hospital Galway and who's listening to this conversation. He reminds us that in 2008 an expert report for the HSC recommended that UHL would have 676 beds. In mid-2020 it had 432 beds. It still shows short 147 beds despite the additional beds being delivered since 2021 and he says very clearly it's a political failure. Well I think um, one of the things that strikes me about the health service issue is there's never much political momentum behind fixing the healthcare system like we have healthcare scandals we have the spinal surgery issue we have um, uh, flashpoints relating to healthcare but when we talk about the healthcare system as a whole as a, as a kind of that we all have a stake in. There's never really any political momentum behind actually fixing that. The closest we came to it is slime to care. And I don't know how many different times and how many different ways that has been stalled and being implemented. It's just not prioritised. Why? I, d- I think um, it is 
multifaceted, as we heard in the panel there, uh, reasons why there are issues with it. You know, we're talking about recruitment, beds, systems as well. You know, uh, mm. um, you know, Stephen Donnelly was out this week talking about the spinal uh, surgery waiting list for children. And despite money that had been allocated to reduce the times the children on those waiting lists are waiting, that it hadn't made the progress he had expected. So he's setting up a unit to dedicatedly mm-hmm. target it. So that is a systems issue rather than, than a money issue from the sounds of things. Um, but it, it's just not, it's not prioritised. In all, all the years we, we see, as uh, Jed mentioned, every winter we see people on trolleys. As a journalist, you know the story you're going to be covering at winter. Is that it is always coming. To that point, though, from Dr. John Barton, that this is very firmly a political failure, Martin. Look, ultimately we have, I, I said at the outset of what I said, we need more capacity in our acute system. Um, and I think it was a, a failure of the past not to plan for that. Um, and we Do are you think you can take a hands-off here because it's a Fianna Fáil portfolio? No, no. no, no. Government's collective. I don't buy that. You know, um, political commentators might uh, focus on that, but it, it's not. It, it, like, we're we're in government. Uh, government is, is about making decisions and standing over them and recognising where the challenges are and trying to um, make changes uh, where you can. Mm. Like, there's a lot of people... Would you want, would you want Fine Gael to have the portfolio if you were re-elected, if this current setup was re-elected? Yeah, like, we're never afraid of making hard decisions and trying to move things on. And we've had, um, you know, people in Fine Gael who have served in that role uh, and, and uh, you know, in, in a range of scenarios where after 2011 obviously we had no money in the country and really tight budgets to when we had money planning and being able to develop uh, the increase in capacity but also showing political leadership in the area of Sláinte Care trying to get consensus across the political system because wh- one thing that this proves is it is slow to make change in this area and we need to move beyond Sláinte Care at its heart was moving beyond the political cycle that you're not having okay. a new government every five years coming up with a new political um, decision Alright our, that our time is up we have to leave it there but thank Thank you all for coming in. Martin Hayden, Jed Nash, Ashley Manoli and Gráinne Nia. And thank you for listening today. You can catch up on anything you might have missed on the RTE radio app. The programme was produced today by the series producer Neve Lyons, researched by Amy Ryan, Jarlath Holland is our broadcast coordinator and Mark McGrath was on sound. Have a lovely weekend. Back with you Monday at 10 o'clock. Now though it's over to Louise.